We're in a series in this class on the great victories of the Bible. We've studied two so far. Uh, the first one was a great victory that was won through um, Joseph, who through some difficulties in his life was put in, into a place where God could use him in a mighty way. And then uh, last week we, we studied the great victory that was won when Israel came out of Egypt. Today I'd like to consider a great victory that was won in battle. The first battle that Israel fought after coming out of slavery in Egypt. So they were slaves in Egypt and probably the degree of slavery um, increased as the years increased. I'm, I'm sure the first um, large percentage of their time in Egypt, uh, they were not slaves. In fact, we know that they were favored by the king initially. They were given a, a really choice piece of land and uh, they were uh, successful at raising sheep and livestock. But as time went on, um, and a new king came on the scene that didn't know Joseph. Well, the uh, situation changed drastically from being highly favored to being highly um, feared because their numbers had grown so much. And um, so they, they um, in order to control them, they were given hard labor and, and really made into slaves and uh, their life was miserable, and they cried out to God for help, and he heard them. And he, he brought them out of Egypt without shedding a drop of blood. They didn't have to fight at all, and they probably couldn't have. They didn't have any opportunity to train for military service. They were working all the time. And, uh, but they came out of Egypt, and God brought them across the Red Sea, through the Red Sea. and The Egyptians that pursued them were were um, drowned in the same water that they had parted and come through. And uh, so they're in the wilderness. And this is what happened in the wilderness. I'd like for us to begin our reading in um, Exodus chapter 17. The Amalekites came and attacked the, the Israelites at Rephidim. And let's stop for just a minute. Who were the Amalekites? The Amalekites were um, a group of people that were nomadic. They lived in the Sinai Peninsula area. And uh, the interesting thing is Amalek, the, the namesake for that tribe, was a grandson of Esau. So these Amalekites were actually relatives. Uh, you, you could argue close relatives of the Israelites. And for them to have that attitude of, Let's attack the Israelites. Um, that's, you know, to my way of thinking, that's, that's strange. Um, but that's what they did. So these, these um, close kin, so to speak, of the Israelites came and attacked them at Rephidim. And they were, um, it wasn't a head-on battle. I mean, it wasn't the kind of thing that was honorable in any way. Um, there's a description in Deuteronomy chapter 25 that tells what this was like. Let's read that, and then we'll talk about it for just a minute. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind, 
They had no fear of God. And so um, their, their modus operandi was to um, attack those at the end who were lagging behind, the sick and the weary. And uh, what, an, what an awful, th- despicable kind of warfare to wage. And that's what they were doing. Probably benefiting monetarily, you know, stealing um, the supplies that were part of them and, and no doubt killing those that were lagging behind. And so um, when this began to happen, uh, Moses spoke with Joshua and here's what he had to say. Back to Exodus 17. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Okay, let's stop there for just a minute. Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. That sounds like a reasonable thing to do. They've been attacking the end of our train, so to speak, of people. Um, But think about it. They are less than two months into their journey from Egypt. We know that by looking at some scripture a little bit later on where they are um, two, two months and a day from their departure from Egypt, and this is before then. So you could argue that they could be anywhere from a month to a month and a half into their journey. And uh, Moses is saying, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. How much military training could they have had in this month and a half since they left Egypt? Um, The possibilities of military training before they left Um, very slight. They were being worked to death all the time. And uh, since then, you think about uh, the excitement of crossing the the Red Sea and just getting used to the wilderness and making sure that their uh, march patterns were in order and and that uh, everything was being carried properly. Uh, No doubt military training was maybe not uh, high on the list at this point. So um, this is quite a statement for Moses to say to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Let's go on. Tomorrow, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Moses makes this incredible statement. What is the staff of God? You might remember that when God first spoke to Moses at the burning bush, that Moses was shepherding sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. And as he began to dialogue with God, God questioned him and said, what is that you have in your hand? And Moses said, a shepherd's staff. And God said, I'm going to use that staff to perform many mighty miracles on Egypt. And so hang on to it. Take that with you when you go to do my work. Now, there was nothing about his staff. It was a piece of wood, probably a little more gnarled and and, uh, well-worn than this one. But it was a piece of wood. It it was an instrument of functionality. It was used to um, do the things that shepherds needed to do with it, to prod a sheep with one end, to maybe rescue with the other and served as a walking stick. It was a shepherd's staff. But God intended to use it 
um, to do mighty things. Again, not through the wood of the shepherd's staff, but just that it represented to Moses and it would represent to all those that watched um, that this was God's staff and he was behind it. Anything that would happen when this staff was used would be connected with God. And so he says, uh, Moses remembers that. He remembers that discussion with God. And he says, uh, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Let's, let's talk too about what happened um, previously with the staff of God. You might remember that when Moses first went in to speak to the Pharaoh, he had this in his hand and, and he threw it down in the ground and it became a snake and it slithered, slithered along. And as Moses grabbed the end of it, um, it became a staff again. And then he used it to wave over the, the river Nile. And as he waved the staff over the river Nile, the water became blood. Later, he waves the, the staff over the land and over the water and frogs come and they uh, take over the land and then gnats and then flies and locusts and all sorts of things and lightning and hail. And uh, he used the staff of God in the exercise of those mighty miracles. God was performing the miracles, but using the staff as a reminder that it was him who was doing it. Okay, let's go on to verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Verse 11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Let's talk about that for just a minute. How long can you stand in this position? especially with this thing in your hand. Uh, 10 minutes, maybe? Um, after a while, your arms grow weary and they get lower and lower and you bring them down. And Moses noticed that when he brought his hands down as he watched the battlefield. Um, if the Israelites were winning at that point as he lowered his hands, then the Amalekites would, would suddenly surge and they would they would take over the, the charge in battle and they would dominate and the Israelites would be backing off. And yet when he raised his hands again, then the Israelites would be winning. And so he recruited some help and he asked for Aaron and Hur to join him up on the mountain. They were there already, but they, they got a stone and they gave it to Moses and he was able to sit on the stone and then one a person got on either side of him and they held up his hands. And let's read about that, that account in verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Can you imagine that? I can imagine that the battle was probably uh, engaged sometime in the morning. And can you imagine your hands being in that position all day? Um, what an amazing thing. And he couldn't have done it on his own. Uh, he needed help. He needed Aaron and her. And just a word about that. 
we need help in our battles. And uh, when we're calling out to God, as Moses was, when his hands were raised, he wasn't just physically raising his hands, but he was, he was putting his trust in God. He was praying for the troops and he was praying for victory. And uh, he was praying for God to show himself mighty. And as long as he was calling out to God, God was giving him victory. And in our lives, I really believe it's the same today. When we encounter things that are too much for us, we call out to God and we ask him for help. And as long as our trust is in him, he brings us the victory. When we begin to... Um, notice other things and we drop our hands, so to speak, and give up on prayer, give up on trusting God, then things begin not to go so well. And uh, so we need help in our prayers. Some of the big ones that you are praying for and that I'm praying for require um, more than we're able to uh, muster on our own. And so we call on other people to help us and they pray with us. And we're much more victorious when there's an army of prayers instead of just one. One of the things that will happen very soon in September is that we'll have a uh, Franklin Graham event here in the Springfield area. And when we do, I can guarantee you that uh, for weeks and months before that time, there will be multiple groups of people praying for that event. And uh, what if Franklin Graham was the only person praying for that event? Can you imagine the, uh, the difference between that and him praying along with hundreds and even thousands of other people as they looked forward to that event? It would make a tremendous difference. And in, in our lives, when we face things, we need to be not too proud to engage the prayers of other people so that uh, we're not carrying the burden alone. That's God's plan. It's his plan that uh, the burden be shared by others. Well, let's take a look at that next verse. Verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. What an amazing thing. So the prayers worked. The lifted hands the staff of God, uh, it worked. When, they, when Moses' hands were held up, the Israelites won the victory and they overcame at the end of the day. And uh, God's purposes were accomplished. His people were spared that uh, horrible uh, thing that was happening as they were coming through the wilderness of their weak and uh, stragglers being picked off at the end of their uh, entourage. Well, I'd like you to go to verse 15. So in, uh, after the, the battle is over, Moses did something and he built an altar. Um, an altar at that time was uh, a place where animals were sacrificed. That was the key element in, in worship in that day. Uh, we might say, well, that's rather barbaric, that uh, killing an animal had to be central to the worship of that time. Uh, and yet, in our day, the key element in our worship 
is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, what he, what he did uh, when he died on the cross. We don't sacrifice animals because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paid for all the sin of mankind. And it paid for our sins, but it also paid for the sins that were committed before the time of Christ. The sacrifices were just a, an image um, a reminder, um, something to cause people to look forward to the eventual ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would make. So sacrifice is very much central to our worship today. And so Moses built an altar. And uh, one of the kinds of sacrifices that were made uh, at that time was something called a thank offering. A thank offering where an animal was, was offered on the altar and the emphasis was, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Um, either something that a person had experienced in his own personal life, or in this case, the life of a nation. Um, and we need to remember that when God does something mighty in our lives, we need to thank him for what he's done. And we need to exalt him for his great victories that he wins. And so Moses did that. He built an altar. He did an, an unusual thing. He gave the altar a name. And he called it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Think about ancient warfare. In ancient warfare, and even in modern warfare, up until probably... Uh, even the 20th century, and, and possibly even beyond that point, but especially before then. Uh, a very key element in military victory was that troops could stay together. They won when they were working together. If they could be fragmented into little groups or into individuals, the enemy could win handily. And so it was important for them to stay together. How did they stay together? They stayed together by keeping their eye on the banner. And every company of soldiers had a banner that would, was either a representative of their company, their unit, or of their nation. And they would, the banner would be carried. And if the person carrying the banner was either killed or wounded and the banner fell, someone else would pick up the banner and would make that his primary job and forget the, the sword or the gun at that point, but carry the banner so that the troop could stay together. That was key and that was important. And so Moses picking up on this idea of, of the Lord being our rallying point, um, he named the altar, the Lord is my banner. It's like, if we look to the Lord, we'll win. If we keep our eyes on him, we'll win. And that's still true today. It's true for us as individuals. It's especially true for us as a church, as a, a church universal, as a local church. To keep our eyes on Jesus, we will win. He will give us the direction that we need. And we will stay strong if we keep our eyes on him. And that will keep us together united um, in Christ. If we're faced with a battle that's too great for us, 
either personally or in a group, in a church or a small group of some kind. We need to cry out to the Lord, just like Moses did. He recognized right away that um, they didn't have the kind of military training they needed to fight a battle. He knew that, but he also knew the power of God. Think of what he had just come through. A whole nation of people had exited Egypt against the will of the, of the emperor, so to speak, the pharaoh. Eventually, he gave his blessing on them leaving, but it was because he wanted to get rid of them. He, was so, he realized that their presence was causing so much grief to his nation, but he, he didn't want to lose the labor. He didn't want to lose the, uh, the benefit that they were to the nation. And so they left, though, because of God's mighty hand. God did some amazing miracles that caused the Egyptians to want them to leave. Moses had that in mind, and he said, the way that we'll win this battle against the Amalekites is to pray and seek God. And so the soldiers will fight, and I will pray, and I will cry out to God, and I will raise his staff to heaven. And so he did that, and he trusted in God. We need to trust in God. And we, re we need to remember that when Moses could no longer carry the burden on, on his own, he enlisted the help of Aaron and Hur. And they came alongside, they helped him find a stone, and they kept his arms raised until the battle was over that evening. And so we need to get help with people in prayer and help to carry the burdens that we're bearing. When you think about the importance of prayer and crying out to God. I just want to remind you of some people in the history of the Bible that, um, for me anyway, bring uh, memories to the surface right away. The first, let's talk about what we just experienced today. Uh, Moses cried out to God when his ragtag group of men who had probably who had never fought a battle and probably never had military training of any kind were able to defeat the Amalekites because he prayed and he cried out to God. Think about Elijah, the prophet. He prayed and God caused it to stop raining for three and a half years. There was famine for three and a half years and then he prayed again and it rained. Think about Hannah. She was barren and she cried out to God and she asked God for a son and God gave her a son. He gave her Samuel who became a mighty prophet of God. Think about one more. Think about Hezekiah, king of Judah and uh, found himself in the unenviable position of being surrounded by the Assyrian armies. They came and laid siege on Jerusalem. He did not know what to do, but he prayed and he got others to pray. And he lifted his hands to God and he laid out the threats of the Assyrians that had actually been written. And he laid it out before him and he prayed to God and he said, God, 
what are we to do? And the Lord heard his prayer. And that night, the angel of the Lord went through the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 soldiers. A sword was never raised because he trusted in God. So the message is clear to us today. When we face uh, difficult things in our lives, we need to raise the staff of God. Now, for Moses, that was a physical staff. I don't think many of us even have one of these or could even get our hands on one. What is God asking us to raise today? I think he's asking us to raise our hands and our hearts in prayer. Our staff of God is prayer. And so when we face something that we can't handle, we lift our hands to him and we call out to him and we trust in him and he will answer. Thank you for being part of this class today and I'd like to close in prayer today and uh, invite you to join me. Thank you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us such a strong promise in your word and help us, Lord, in our times of trouble to call out to you. Help us, Lord, in our times of, uh, of good when things seem to be going well to also cry out to you. May we never stop trusting in you. May that be our default position. May we always go to prayer. May we always lift our staff of God, which is prayer, to you. And may we uh, trust in you for whatever we face. May we never stop crying out. And God, may you win mighty victories in our lives for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and have a great day.